Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to the December edition of The Compliance Life. In this month's edition, I visit with Kim Yapchai. Kim is the Chief Compliance and Chief Sustainability Officer at Teneco. She's had a very distinguished career in compliance, but it didn't uh, start out in compliance. We explore her undergraduate degree in economics and how that led to her going to law school, but becoming a business person with a law degree. We talk about her path to the CCO chair as an in-house counsel and what she learned as a business lawyer and was able to apply that in compliance in a preventative law perspective. We consider her roles at uh, Whirlpool and Teneco as chief compliance officers, some of the challenges she's faced, and some of the successes she's had at both corporations. We conclude with her new role, in addition to being chief compliance officer at Teneco, as the chief sustainability officer, and how that role helps her to uh, have a broader risk management portfolio and use risk in a strategic way, both from the compliance perspective and the sustainability perspective. It's a fascinating series of interviews over the month of December. I know you will enjoy them all. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Kim Yapchai for uh, episode three in our four-part series with her this month on The Compliance Live. Kim, first of all, welcome back. Good to be back again, Tom. So, Kim, we have uh, you uh, moving through your uh, early legal career and your first roles in compliance. But now I wanted to focus on uh, when did you actually move to the CCO chair and uh, your experiences around that? Sure. So it was in 2014 when I moved to Whirlpool, and it was actually their first time having a full-time chief compliance officer. So it was an exciting a point to join the company as they expanded their program. And part of the reason they were doing that was they were completing two significant acquisitions, one in Eastern Europe and one of a previously state-owned entity in China. So their risk exposure was significantly increasing. Kim, uh, my parents had Whirlpool appliances. As long as I can remember, that's uh probably one of the top 10 iconic brand names in America. Um, but uh, what I wanted to understand or ask you is, with having such an iconic brand, does that actually put more pressure on the backbone of uh, the company to deliver and continue to deliver that? Or, or if you're at a Tenneco or a Ford Motor Credit or any other business, it's all the same. Well, I think all three companies have brands that over are over 100 years old. So you could look at it as pressure, right? But at the same point, I think it makes a lot easier for people to understand why compliance is so important. Because if you do something wrong, 
that hundred years you've spent building your brand can be lost in an instant. Wow. So uh, even at a company like that, uh, Whirlpool, as iconic as Whirlpool, it's it's reputation. It's what it comes down to, right? That consumer needs to trust you and trust that, you know, the product is going to be the quality. And it's the same way with the investor. They expect a higher level of performance. I was wondering if you could tell us about maybe a couple or three uh, challenges that you saw or, or had when you moved to the CCO chair, and then maybe uh, some of the, uh, the programs you are particularly proud of that you created. Sure. So one of the, the new challenges for me when I joined Whirlpool was the interaction with the board. Obviously, you have presentations to audit committees, and I had not had a chance to do that in my prior roles. So that was really exciting. And you know what I learned is the audit committee and the chair, they understood that this was a journey, right? That you can't just flip a switch and, and have a program appear magically. And they also understand that it's hard to be perfect. So I, I was really fortunate that, that they were supportive in the journey, supported as we built out the program. Uh, which leads to your other question. One of the things that I'm most proud of achieving there was the designation for world's most ethical company. Uh, kudos. That is a uh, uh, a really big deal, and I have some familiarity with it in terms of the process. And it's an extraordinarily comprehensive process that Ethosphere has put together. I was wondering if you might talk about the process, just just to get your application in. And were you able to use that process to really benchmark not only where you were, but where you might wanna go? Yeah, sure. So I'll take it one step back from there. Uh, when I joined, the team and I sat together in a brainstorming session and said, what do we wanna do? And we set our eyes on that because again, we felt it was a good fit. It's much broader than your compliance program, frankly, right? It's what are you doing in sustainability? your reputation, how you treat employees. And so we built out our plan to, to achieve that. And at the end of the plan, as a little uh, phrase, we put, if we achieve this, now we're cooking with oil, right? That's when we're really hot. And when we told the GC, she said, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Because obviously that phrase doesn't include all the details that you need to, to accomplish that, uh, you know, the designation from Ethosphere. Um, so, of course, we explained it to her and then she, she understood it. But as you mentioned, the application process is very in intensive. It's not just the self-assessment. It's you actually answering a questionnaire um, and then providing the support for your answers. So you have to be able to prove what you say. So just the gathering the information alone is quite the task, let alone building the program. How did the receiving that award, uh, um, how was it received internally, not with you and your team? I know you guys were excited, but about the rest of the organization. How did, did that change the way they viewed compliance? Yeah, I think that it did. Um, I was really impressed just you know for everyone from hr to sustainability right how everyone felt stronger as a team felt really proud of what they did and how they did it 
you like to think we don't need external validation, but it really does mean something else when someone says, hey, you're the best. Let me pick up on something you said there that I found extraordinarily interesting because I was expecting you to say something along the lines of, well, the CEO of the board thought it was great, but you actually talked about the other functioning departments in the corporation. And that leads me to speculate that they were a big part of not simply the application process, but your compliance program as well. Would that be a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, compliance is not something you can do alone, right? It's a team sport and you need internal audit, you need HR, you need all of those other functions to be able to do it and do it well. How were you able to develop the relationships with uh, the head of HR, uh, the, the CFO, head of internal audit, or any other corporate function? Uh, just have a cup of coffee with them, uh, try to have informal chats, see what they needed. What did you use to, to really help build those relationships? So first of all, we had a candy station in the compliance department. <laughs> it's amazing how many people will stop by and you can have informal conversations. It's a little hard to do now during COVID, right? But a little candy goes a long way. <laughs> it, so I had one friend who, uh, who said he always brought pizza to meetings. And so he became known as the pizza guy and he was really the compliance guy, but that's the same concept it sounds like. Yeah, and, and frankly, it was a lot of gratitude. It's thanking people and helping them to, to be the role models that we need, right? Versus asking them for more things. It's making it easy for them. Uh, having the bullet points that the CEO needs, right? Or um, implementing steps that, that decreases the CFO's worry to sign off on financial statements. It's partnering with them and providing value. Uh, in a prior uh, episode, I believe you said that engaged employees can actually be ambassadors for your compliance program. Were you able to take that concept uh, to Whirlpool, which has a, a much broader international footprint than perhaps some of the other corporations you were with? Yes, absolutely. So uh, when I came to Whirlpool, the, the program had a very policing tone right, because they had gone through some, some investigations um, and self-disclosed, but it wasn't something that people wanted to be part of. And so I spent a lot of my time, again, implementing the same things I did at the prior job to make it interesting and engaging and fun and effective, right, at the same time. So in the beginning, it was me and two other team members. By the time I left, our global um, compliance monthly meetings had 30 people attending them, many of them voluntarily, they weren't required to. And then in addition, when we conducted events, we had a list of volunteers that wanted to come and be a part of our events and help us to conduct them in a waiting list, actually, in fact. So. I've never heard a compliance professional said there was a waiting list. Uh, that's fabulous. Yeah, you've never participated in one of my events is what, what that means. <laughs> well, um, uh, I believe that you moved over to a similar role at Tenneco uh, after Whirlpool. Was that correct? Correct, correct. And uh, one of the first things the CEO did when he introduced me is he said, I finally found a compliance person who's fun. 
<laughs> well, that sounds like a great place uh, to end this episode, Kim. Um, I hope our listeners will uh, join us for our fourth and final episode next week. Uh, we're going to take it a little bit different direction uh, in addition to your uh, experiences at Tenneco. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Compliance Life. In the month of December, I'm featuring Kim Yapchai, the Chief Compliance and Chief Sustainability Officer at Tenneco. Hope you'll join us again next week. Also, we have a new podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Wirecard Saga, where I'm taking a deep dive weekly into Wirecard with Kyle Gordon Ryder of Affiliated Monitors. Finally, on 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program, this month's topic is training and communications. Check out all these podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.